The mind is a mystery, but we're closer to understanding it than ever before. Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of Contemplative Creative. We're in the double digits now on this bi-weekly audio podcast where we tackle the deeper issues of today's creative landscape and living in a modern world. The goal? Uncovering insights to live more intentional lives as creative professionals and hobbyists or even just as responsible human beings looking to live a life of meaning. My name is David Quiring, and I will be your host. The brain is an amazing thing, a complex, organic piece of matter which we are only just beginning to scratch the surface of understanding. I've always been an avid reader. In university, this happy habit of mine was largely put on hold, however, because the required reading on my plate was already more than I could get through in itself. So I worked at developing perhaps the most necessary skill required to get through university successfully, skimming. Given a large block of text, I learned to scan for the important content rather than just read each and every word. Five years later, I graduated. Hooray, I did it. I found myself reacquainted with free time, too. Finally time to read something for pleasure again. Oddly, though, when I picked up that first novel and tried to relax into reading it, my eyes raced ahead, refusing to read each and every word, despite my effort to. It would seem that the scanning skill I had worked so hard to build in order to survive university had become ingrained. It took about a year until I can honestly say that I could settle down into reading long-form work at a relaxed pace again. Well, that's interesting, I noted to myself. Throughout history, observant people have noticed connections between the mind and the world. Amongst the first to document this connection, at least as far as I'm aware of, was a man named Siddhartha Gautama, some 2,500 years ago or so. Siddhartha is commonly referred to as the Buddha today, but don't let this loaded title stop you from considering what he had to say, just because some people who followed him have since turned his words into a religion. Siddhartha himself was not religious by any means, and never claimed to be. He was just an ordinary man, like you and me. Rather, he thought of himself as a physician concerned with suffering, and his teachings were the medicine that he had discovered for himself. Through countless hours of awareness meditation, Siddhartha calmed the fluctuations of his mind so that he could notice the reactive nature of his mind. From this place of stillness, he was able to notice and watch as external stimuli stirred his mind, much like watching the ripples cast by a single stone breaking the absolute calm surface of a lake. In so doing, he was amongst the first to glimpse insights into the nature of how the mind works. But although he was able to see a correlation between some cause and effect, the why behind it all remained a mystery. In recent history, these traditional systems of thought have been regarded with a certain skepticism, because they've been unable to be proven through available scientific theory. But today, neuroscience is finally bridging the gap between scientific thought and some of these traditional belief systems that had previously been based only on experiential observation. 
We can now explain at a biological level how some of these different modalities of practice really are effective. This is very interesting to me, and judging by the increasing frequency with which I am seeing people much smarter than myself talk about meditation these days, I know I'm not the only one interested with where all this is going. While I think it's great to always approach things with a healthy skepticism, I'm also hesitant to throw away knowledge just because it's different. So I appreciate these people who are taking the time to take a closer look at this traditional knowledge that others are turning away from. One particular area of study which I've been watching over the years is the idea of neuroplasticity, a term that refers to the malleability of the brain. The brain naturally optimizes itself for repeated functions. What this means is that every time you do something, the brain builds a neural pathway for the functional line of thought required to do that thing. If you do something more than once, that neural pathway becomes larger and stronger, making our reaction to that particular situation faster and more ingrained. Think of what it's like to start something brand new to you. A new sport is a good example. At first, it's foreign and quite difficult. A lot of concentration is required on your part to achieve even the most basic of functionality. But with practice, you go through this mental process over and over, and it becomes easier. You don't need to think about what you're doing with quite as much attention. Something that at one point required so much focus slowly moves towards almost unconscious action. This incredible optimization is what makes us able to do such complex activities with ease. Walking, speaking a language, logical thought processes even. These are not simple things. It takes a lot of practice in school and life to develop the necessary neural network and ability to do these things. But once built up, they become second nature. Coming back to the term neuroplasticity, Neuroplasticity refers to the rigidity of these neural pathways. In humans, neuroplasticity is highest in children, and it degrades as we age, the brain's ability to change its hardwiring dropping off significantly in our 20s. This is the biological reason behind why children are so easily able to pick up new things. Their brains are malleable and still developing. Adults have the benefit of a more developed mind, but they also have a much harder time changing habitual wiring that's already been done. Don't despair though, it's never impossible to change. Despite it being more difficult, this is no excuse not to change your bad habits, adults. This neural optimization is biological and happens with regards to all our interactions with the world, whether we are consciously trying to learn or not. Every single thought we have gets digested by the brain and built into our neural network. In this way, the old saying, you are what you eat, is also true about mental digestion. Whatever we take in with our senses is absorbed by our mind, and however we choose to react strengthens particular neural pathways into what can become almost automatic responses, like the skimming habit I developed in university, and the difficulty I had in getting rid of it. Think of a rock. If you take a knife and scratch one line into that rock, it will hardly leave a mark. 
But if you scratch that spot repeatedly, that little mark will become a groove that you can slip into with the knife and continue moving the knife in the same pattern more easily. And if you keep on scratching, it will become an even deeper rut, one which, once you've slipped inside, can be quite difficult to get out of. This is an analogy of how the mind creates ingrained reactions to various sensory stimuli. While the optimization allows us to do complex things with ease by building a groove of sorts, we need to be wary of the ruts. We don't want to go through life merely reacting automatically to whatever is in front of us. Just as we are careful with the food we eat, we also need to be mindful about what we consume with our eyes, our ears, and all of our senses. What we input affects us and our actions, sometimes in ways we don't want. While yes, this amazing biological adaptation can enable us to do great things, it can also build bad habits that can be very difficult to slip out of. This fundamental pattern of programming the mind is present in all aspects of our lives, so there are many ways to talk about this, but I think I will simply mention that it can be looked at in terms of building positive habits and correcting negative habits. As creatives, we can build rituals into our daily routine to facilitate creative potential. Maybe this could simply be not to turn your phone on for the first hour of the day. Every day. Or going for a walk along the river after breakfast. Every day. Or simply set aside the same block of time for creative work at your desk. Again, every day. The idea is that if you set aside a consistent time to create, the repetition of the creative process will certainly increase your productivity. On the other hand, to avoid slipping into a rut and getting creatively stagnant, we need to stretch the mind by exposing ourselves to different things. Like any muscle, the brain needs to be exercised to be healthy and ensure that we don't become robotic in our conditioned responses. For the bad habits we've already developed, we can notice our unhelpful tendencies and choose not to reinforce them by reenacting them. Instead of slipping into the rut on the rock, scratch with your knife somewhere else on its large surface. I could go on, and I might delve into more specific issues in future episodes, but for now I will stop this general overview here. With this understanding of the nature of the mind, we can better understand why we are the way we are and can cultivate better habits leveraging this understanding. There is always the potential for positive change and that is something to draw hope upon. With awareness, we work to slip out of habitual conditioned responses where, when we're given a certain trigger, we automatically react in a way we have as long as we can remember. If we can find a bit of space between that which happens and our reaction to it, we can intentionally choose how to act and, in doing so, grab a hold of the steering wheel of our lives. I don't aim to tell you what method for achieving this is right for you. For myself, awareness meditation has been the daily practice for that, but there are numerous paths up this same mountain, so it really is an individual choice. The first step is to simply notice when you are automatically reacting to something. I encourage you to try and spot it in your own life. Watch for a strong emotion, like anger. When you see it, just notice that you're angry, and see if that changes how you act out of that emotion. 
And that's it for now. There will probably be more on this topic later. As you can see, I'm pretty passionate about it. And I really do feel like I've just scratched the surface. Once again, I would like to thank the folks over at IdeaSpark. We're coming up on the end of this campaign with them, but I would like to encourage you this one last time to check it out. They're donating the proceeds from their iOS app to Contemplative Creative. The app is built to help you get out of creative ruts by suggesting new ideas. With it, you can select contexts and themes to customize it as you like, and focus its idea generation on things that you're open to. Then, it'll generate a quirky little phrase with which you can use to start a new project. So, if you're feeling uninspired and are not sure where to start, or you're doing a daily art project and running a bit low on ideas, or maybe you're trying a new art form altogether and simply need some light-hearted ideas to experiment on with it, well, it runs for $1.99 or so, depending on the country which you call home. And like I said, for the next while, your purchase over there will support this podcast. It costs less than a cup of coffee, supports you in your art, and also supports the creative discussion over here. That's a pretty great win-win situation all around, I think. So if you're looking for a great tool to help stimulate your creativity, I invite you to head over to our website at www.contemplativecreative.com, click on the support tab over there, and check it out for yourself. And if that's not your thing, don't worry about it. If you'd like to support Contemplative Creative, there is another way, and it doesn't cost a dime. The best way you can help us out is to spread the word. We want to keep this thing going and growing, but we can't do that without you, the listener. So, if you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends, and if you don't already, please subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and tell good friends, and everything's going to be okay. And that's it for this week. You can find Contemplative Creative on Instagram and Twitter, where you can stay connected with us between episodes. Links to everything that we're up to are over at www.contemplativecreative.com. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening. The mind is a mystery, but we're closer to understanding it than ever before.